Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Alex Housen, and this is Right Medicine, a weekly podcast that explores best practices in creating content that connects with and educates health professionals. I'm a former nurse and an academic who spent the last 16 years as an independent medical writer and researcher, creating and evaluating education content for health professionals. If your work involves planning, designing, delivering or evaluating education for health professionals, this podcast is for you. Celebrating its 10th year as the premier online event for CME professionals, CME Palooza will be back in 2023 with its spring and fall events. So mark your calendars for Wednesday, April 12th and Wednesday, October 18th. CME Palooza. It's free, it's fun, and it's just plain fantastic. Sedentary lifestyles pose significant well-being challenges to people living in Western cultures. For example, prolonged periods at a desk or a keyboard affect our posture, our mental and physical health, and our stress levels. Those of us working in continuing medical education and continuing education for health professionals are no exception to these risks, and we can all benefit from a proactive approach to injury prevention. Eva Stabenow, a medical writer and translator specialising in health and wellness communication, shares her insights with us today on Right Medicine. In addition to helping people understand complex health content using plain language, Eva physically conveys her passion for health and health communication by teaching Pilates, a low-impact activity that balances strength with mobility and flexibility so that you can move more freely and with more power. Join us. Hello and welcome to Right Medicine. I'm your host, Alex Housen, and I'm here today with Eva Stabenow, a translator, a medical writer, and a Pilates instructor. And we're going to be talking about some of the things that we can do to really support health and well-being when we spend long hours at the keyboard. Welcome, Eva. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I love this podcast and I love talking to you. And I'm really excited to be on your podcast and share some insights with people. I'm really excited to have this conversation. We did meet in person in October. Was it October? It was October, yes. Yeah, at the annual American Medical Writers Association conference and had a lovely conversation then. So I'm, I'm looking forward to extending that. So please, let's start our conversation by telling listeners who you are and what you do. Okay, so it's always a question when you're no longer 25, where you start with that. But so with the things (laughs) that I do, I generally view myself as across all the things that I do as a common sense health communicator. So when I am a medical writer, I write content because I want to help regular people understand complex health content. I often do it in plain language and with graphics. So that is my focus in that area. As a German translator, where I specialize in health and medicine, as well as wellness, skin care, also some software localization and AI-related topics, I often adapt and transcreate concepts from German to English, English to German, in order to connect with the target audience. So I have to really know what that person that is going to be reading this content or hearing this content, if it's for audio or video, needs, what their register is. And so I really have to figure out what connects with them, what culturally connects with them. 
And then, of course, I also teach uh, Pilates, and I like in that domain, I like to think of myself as more of a movement teacher than a Pilates teacher only, quote unquote, as much as I love Pilates. I focus on teaching healthy movement, especially with for people who are sort of midlife and older, just because that seems to be a bit of a neglected population, and I'm also in that category. And I really want to communicate to people how to move better so that they can live better and really lead a better life. So in that way, I'm also communicating about health. So that is kind of the thread that runs through the things that I do, just common sense health communication that connects with people and helps people live a better life. That's a beautiful thread. And in fact, I was going to pick up on that common sense health communication before we get into some questions about Pilates and and movement, because it seems to me that that could we break that down a little bit in terms of what you mean by common sense health communication? What do I mean by that? I mean that we are so bombarded by all sorts of information about how we should live and how we should eat and how we should move. And a lot of it is really not always the right advice and not always the right thing for every person at every stage in their life. We are also given a lot of material, you know, at the doctor's office that is often very uh, technically complex. Now, this podcast addresses medical writers primarily, so that is not going to be as much of an issue. But generally speaking, that can be an issue. And I feel that it is a good idea to find out what to listen to our bodies, to learn how to listen to our bodies, and to make sense out of all the volume of things that are coming at us, and all the shoulds, and figure out what, how to integrate the right shoulds with our wants and needs, so that we can actually use that to improve our life and not to just fulfill this unattainable aesthetic ideal, or, you know, because we feel guilty about not being model thin or anything like that. I feel like that those messages can get very blurred. And I feel like Mm -hmm. I have a role to play in helping to sort out that complexity in a way that actually makes a difference in somebody's life. That's beautiful. I I love that description. And what's there, there are some things that really kind of jump out at me in in what you've just said. And and one is around that if you're not going to challenge or push back on the shoulds that society throws at you in midlife, when are you going to do that? Brene Brown has a wonderful line I love in her. One of her books. Yeah, she's amazing. And I'm not going to be able to remember it or even paraphrase it, but I'll make sure to put it in the in the show notes, which is about midlife and menopause is really nature's way of forcing you to confront who you are and who you're going to be or who you're uh, who you're becoming and i love the emphasis too on movement as opposed to you know exercise or physical activity or or some other some other term because that speaks so well to the fact that you know historically we've become certainly in western cultures very sedentary cultures so it's getting back to movement as a foundation for a healthy life and a healthful kind of well well-being so how do you so you know you've you've connected those threads between 
the writing you do, the translation that you do, and your work as a Pilates instructor. How do you combine all of those threads in practice? It's the practice. That's always the challenge, isn't it? So at the moment, I am balancing teaching Pilates in person. I have a few online classes as well. I do medical writing. I'm a medical and health translator, and I'm also back in graduate school at the moment. So it's quite a few things that I'm trying to juggle at the moment, including my own health and well-being and you know, movement practice. So because I'm human, the self-care part goes out the window first, even though I know not to do that, unless I pay very close attention to it. What I try to do in order to navigate the work aspect of things is to chunk my time so that I will mm. uh, have mid-mornings to midday, I will teach Pilates. And then the evening, I'll maybe teach another session or two. And then in between, I will do in the morning, I will do my email because I have a lot of clients overseas. Communication in the afternoon, I'll do work related to translation and writing. And then whenever I have time, evenings, weekends, I will do my graduate school work. And then I will fit in my movement practice in between. So I've learned to, I'm sure you've heard about movement snacks, one of my favorite terms. Yes. So I try to intersperse movement. I basically in the morning I get up and I walk or run or do something ideally outdoors. Luckily, I live in a neighborhood where I can do that. I will try to do some more movement midday if time and the weather allows and then a little bit more at the end of the day. So I try to have three movement sessions. That does not mean that I'm killing myself and I work out for hours on end. It means that I'm moving my body. So that can be anything from, you know, gentle stretching to walking to running to more challenging ways of physical activity to yoga or Pilates. I do two private sessions with instructors every week because it is just invaluable to have eyes on me and to keep me accountable. Mm. especially as a movement professional. So between those things, I, I manage to keep fairly healthy most parts of the year. And then, yeah, that's how I try to manage it. And so there's some really helpful things in there uh, around, or I think you said at the beginning of our conversation, you know, we should listen to our bodies and that listening to our bodies kind of feeds into self-care and looking after our well-being. But one of the things I notice as a yoga instructor is, and I run a a breathing group, is that often people are unaware of how stiff and how much tension and discomfort they actually have in their bodies until somebody, you know, like a Pilates instructor or uh, some other kind of coach takes them through some kind of practice that allows them to really tap into or tune into what's going on in their bodies. We live at some distance from our bodies in everyday life. And that becomes that can become really challenging if we're stuck at a keyboard for long periods of time because the body gets kind Absolutely. of you know, Absolutely. habitually mm-hmm. stuck yeah. into a very hunched over kind of position. Yeah. So how does something like Pilates help the kind of shape that many people's bodies can get into with a lot of keyboard work. And we might be talking about things like repetitive strain injury, tension and discomfort in forearms, fingers, wrists, shoulders, pectoral muscles, back, hips. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there in terms of 
how keyboard work can affect our our bodies. You are so right. And as a yoga instructor, you know exactly where those pain points are. And as a fellow desk worker as well, or recovering desk worker. (laughs) So what I see a lot is what you've mentioned, a lot of forward head posture, which will lead to neck pain, headaches, tension headaches, Um, just going from the top down here. You get a lot of hunched shoulders, tight upper back, tight um, chest area, restricted breathing that can have an impact down into your arms, elbows, forearms. I see everything from shoulder impingement to tennis elbows to carpal tunnel Mm. to, you know, forms of arthritis. My biggie is thoracic outlet syndrome. Nobody talks about that. A lot of people have it. Ah. I had it and it took me years to sort it out. So if you have issues with that, keep that in mind. I may come back to this in a minute. Lots of mid-back, lower back pain can result from all of that because you, as you hunch forward, you get a lot of hyperkyphosis, so excess curvature of the thoracic spine or forward head posture, also known as military neck, which is when you don't have the kyphosis, but you just stick your head forward. As we do, when you crawl into the computer, all of that can have an impact on your hips. You can get tight hip flexors from sitting, standing, and walking also can make your hip flexors tight. That can have an impact down into your knees, into your feet. So it's basically the whole body. It's just this cascade of things. I hope I haven't terrified anyone, but there are a lot of things to tease apart often. Right. And we're going to talk about some of the things that we can do to ease those points of tension. But first of all, I want to go back to thoracic outlet syndrome, because this is a, this is something that, you know, a lot of people might have heard about or heard somebody else talking about. But what is it? And how would we know if? we were affected by thoracic outlet syndrome. Okay, so I should say right now that I'm not a clinician, so please go see your clinician to sort this out. There are different types of thoracic outlet syndrome, but basically the thoracic outlet is somewhere here, sort of in that clavicle area. It is a part, an area of the body where there's a lot of blood vessels, muscles, um, nerves going through, and it can be due to excess shoulder tight, excess tightness sorry, in the muscle. It can be due to an excess bone, bad posture. In my case, it was muscle tightness. And it basically clamps down on your nerves, usually. can be on your blood flow as well. And it usually radiates into your arm, into your elbow, and into your fingers. And it can cause numbness and tingling and just pain. And for me, it resulted in just chronic pain from the shoulder all the way down to my hands and into my hand on one side because my... I realized after a long period of time that my default for stress was rolling my left shoulder forward and I would find myself sleeping like this and doing this when I wish I was stressed out. And it's one of those movement patterns we don't realize. And other people have yeah. other ones. I have people who curl their toes when they're stressed and pe- you know everyone has their little thing. Mm-hmm. But it is something that a lot of people think they have carpal tunnel syndrome, but it's not actually in the carpals. It's actually originating up here and your bad posture can contribute to it and it can actually have an impact on your entire forearm and wrists. And of course, as people who work at our desks, we usually type and we have a hard time sustaining that if we have that level of pain. So that's pretty critical to sort out and it can be sorted out. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about that in a, in a minute. You mentioned earlier that you know you work with a couple of instructors so that you have eyes on yeah. you. And of course, that's part of one of the the kind of value, part of the value of having somebody who's actually looking at your body as you go through various movements is to help 
make visible those habitual postures mm-hmm. and movements that we make that we can we're often completely unaware of. Yes. And it's interesting if you start you know a seated class for instance by asking people to simply freeze the way that they're sitting that can be a really kind of interesting and helpful way for people to start thinking about and start becoming aware of all the various rounded and clenched and tight uh, positions that you know we get ourselves into habitually because we're working on a keyboard so let's talk a little bit about what pilates is and what its benefits are for some of the things that we've been talking about here in terms of tightness mm-hmm. and stiffness and tension and discomfort. Okay, Pilates is, that's a big thing to unpack. So there are different forms of Pilates these days, but let me go back a little bit. So first of all, it's pronounced Pilates and Pilates, which I get a lot. And it was founded by a character named Joseph H. Pilates, a German immigrant. He was born in 1883 in Germany and emigrated to the U.S. in 1926. And he was sort of a fitness bodybuilding enthusiast. Legend has it that he was, or maybe history has it really, that he was interned in Britain in, during World War I when all German nationals or possibly foreign nationals, I'm a little fuzzy on that, were interned. And he developed a system with pulleys and bed springs and things and on, on hospital beds to rehab these injured people. So he emigrated to the U.S. and started sort of a type of exercise slash physical therapy program that was, this was pre-actual physical therapy. So he would rehab dancers and uh, it was just a very small group, kind of flew under the radar and um, he invented the program. He actually called it Contrology, which kind of, I like to quote that because it gives you a sense of uh, that it's actually about body control. I'll go back to that in just a moment. So what you see today is Pilates, you often see mat classes, and then you see apparatus, quote unquote, which have, have these mm-hmm. slightly archaic looking machines, a reformer, a trapeze table, a Cadillac, ladder barrel, spine corrector, and a wonder chair. And they kind of, you can do all sorts of things with them as closed chain, open chain, semi-closed chain movements that really help provide feedback to the body and enable certain movements. But basically, Pilates is, I would say, a low-impact form of exercise and physical movement that aims to create optimal strength in the body through working on muscle balance and also fine-tuning neuromuscular patterns. I think the neuromuscular part Mm. is kind of important here. It balances strength with mobility and flexibility, ideally so you can move more freely and with more power in your daily life and in other activities. One of the really important things here is to differentiate between flexibility and mobility. We can dive into that a little bit if you want Mm. to. But I think you're already getting the idea that it's great on its own. It's great to complement other forms of movement. And it's really great to rehab or prehab injuries. And it's really wonderful for people with any kind of chronic conditions because you can very you can really fine-tune to almost any condition to make it benefit that person's body and patterns. I didn't realize that Joseph Pilates was German. I, I, I've been reading, a, a dear friend gave me a, a whole kind of series of novels mm-hmm. with a character at the center called Maisie Dobbs. They're kind of d- detective uh, novels and they're set in the UK just, just at the tail end of the First World War. Mm-hmm. And uh, the central character is 
part of her characterization is that she uses novel and, you know, what are seen as kind of somewhat unique approaches to the detective work that mm-hmm. she does. And Pilates features there. Really? Because, yeah, because she's all about, and she meditates as well. So she's all about movement. She's all about meditation. She's all about the way in which the body gives you information so that you can explore and be fully in the world. So the the novels actually kind of reference Pilates, not a huge amount, but but he's there. Uh, But I, I hadn't realized, I knew he was connected to the First World War and the kind of rehab world. But I, I hadn't realized that he, he was a German immigrant. That, that's he was. I think he was of Greek descent on his father's side, something like that. It's, it's a little bit fuzzy because he was not right. very attention-seeking in that, in that sense. He was a bit of a character and very quotable. But I will have to find out about those novels. They sound really fascinating. They're kind of fun. They're kind of sweet and light and fun. Perfect. You know, perfect I, I, I enjoy them. Well, let's, let's go back to what you were saying about you know, how Pilates mm-hmm. works and what someone who's new to Pilates might expect, you know, if they were seeking out that form of movement. And what would be the prompt to drive someone to Pilates versus, you know, some other kind of movement? Mm, so what might they expect? Um, let me preface this by at the beginning of my Pilates teaching adventure, I was constantly asked, do you still stretch people? And I found that hilarious because stretching is a bit of a, not a dirty word, but it is not really what we do because flexibility is basically the passive range of motion of a muscle and mobility is sort of the active range of motion of a joint, the controlled range of motion. And you want to be able to control the range of motion because once you get into the passive range of motion, that's where your risk of injury goes way up. So mobility, you need flexibility and strength. So just to, to kind of get that in what people do expect. People have these conceptions about either I'm going to be stretched or I'm going to be working my core. So while Pilates Mm -hmm. does work the core a bit less in more modern forms of Pilates, the core work is not, the idea is not to get get six-pack abs. The idea is to strengthen the entire core of the body so you can more freely move throughout the world and more freely move your joints, your, your limbs, so you have that stability so you get the mobility. Who should do Pilates? Everybody should do Pilates, <laughs> of course. Especially though, people who are finding that they have sort of these niggling injuries that they can't get rid of, people who find that they are getting older and want a safe form of movement, people who have uh, various conditions. So osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis is great for osteoporosis. Caveat with all those things, you want somebody who's experienced working with that. You don't want your run-of-the-mill, 20-year-old, newly trained, fitness-based Pilates instructor. And I will say here that there are Pilates instructors and Pilates instructors. You can do a weekend training and teach a Pilates mat class at the YMCA and not saying anything against those people. That's going to be a very different category of people than there are doctors of physical therapy who have Pilates certifications and people who are trained through Pilates Method Alliance who have different qualifications. So you'd want to work with those people, especially if you have any kind of condition like that. It's great for hypermobility, especially EDS, but you have to be obviously working with somebody who really knows what they're doing when you're going to getting into that kind of condition. So anything like that, you really, you really want to do Pilates, but everybody can benefit from it. 
And stiff athletes, the people who are least likely to want to do Pilates, can really benefit from it as well. And for listeners who might not know what EDS is? Sorry, Ehlers-Danlos Syndromes. I may be, not be pronouncing okay. that correctly. There's a lot more to it, but it's extreme hypermobility that can yeah. cause uh, all sorts of issues in the body. And there are various forms, but the hypermobility piece can be, Pilates is one of the safer forms of movement for that type of issue with someone who knows what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. So that was just an example. Yeah, it, it it's interesting that uh, I, I, I think that there seems to be more awareness of Ehlers-Danlos mm-hmm. now than perhaps a, a few a few years ago. And I, I know at least two people in my network whose children yeah. have EDS. So it's interesting how that's kind of getting onto the, the rare disease radar yeah. a little bit more. You know, when talking about flexibility, I'm really glad that you kind of broke down what, you know, flexibility, mobility and, you know, balance and strength and how these all kind of work together. And you did flag up stretching and stretching as a as a dirty word. And so that kind of takes me to the, you know, the kind of yoga equivalent of stretching is yin mm-hmm. yoga, which is a very passive form of stretching. Can you talk a little bit about how Pilates compares to something like like yin yoga, which is, you know, mm-hmm. this very sort of passive form of stretching? So I do know about yin yoga. I should maybe add that I've, I also qualified as a yoga teacher before I started doing Pilates. So I do know, I'm not, I don't consider myself a yoga expert, but I do know the forms of yoga. So yin yoga is a very unique thing in that you hold the postures for a very long period of time. Feel free to correct me if my conception is not correct here. And um, Pilates would not be that type of thing. You don't tend to go into a position mm-hmm. and hold it for a long period of time. So it's not so much about passive stretching, which I actually think yin yoga can be very beneficial. I'm more concerned about the more aggressive stretching that some people do. Yes. So the passive stretching, I think that can be very good for some people in certain situations. And I have nothing against yin yoga to be very, very clear about that. Pilates, I would tend to, it is more that the exercises often feature a combination of strength and mobility, flexibility, lengthening, so that you're sort of working these things simultaneously rather than separately. And I I will say that there are certain Mm. stretches, quote unquote, that I will do, but they tend to be more of the mobile variety. So primarily, I will do things like what we call a mermaid, which is sort of a side to side stretch done on various Mm. apparatuses. So you're lengthening and you're moving, but you're not holding a static stretch. And you're certainly not, right. even though it looks certain, some exercise look like you are pushing into a stretch like a saw. If anybody's done Pilates and they know what a saw looks like, it looks like you're pushing into a stretch, but you're really just gently kind of pulsing into it. So it's not that aggressive Got it. pushing stretch. It is more of a mobilization of tissues. And it does seem to be the science of stretching like all science, you know, has evolved away from that kind of aggressive stretching that you were describing into more supported forms of uh, stretching and creating space in in various kinds of Absolutely. I want to actually go into that briefly because one of my favorite things, there's a device called, it's got a bit of a, you know, martial name, spine corrector is actually a wonderful device. And it is called, is one of the things that we call barrels. So it's rounded. I'm going to sit up straight. 
it's actually wonderful because you can lie down over it and you are your 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 entire spine uh-huh. is supported which allows you to really relax and i loved nothing more than to do flex uh, mobilization exercise over the spine corrector it really is something that is great for office workers and because of that support you as you know as a yin yoga instructor as a yoga instructor in general the support enables your body to fully relax into it and that is just a wonderful thing that you can do in both pilates and some forms of yoga absolutely and so if somebody so we've you know you've talked a little bit about some of the benefits of pilates for keyboard workers mm-hmm. and the ways in which you know the body can really mm-hmm. open up what do you identify as it's not just about the body feeling better there are knock on benefits from paying attention to stiffness and discomfort in your body what would you say some of those benefits are especially as a writer and a keyboard worker oh goodness i mean the benefits are endless the benefits are um let's see you just by paying attention and by moving you will have better blood flow which will help your attention span by not having the pain and aches that come with shoulder uh, shoulder rounding and forward head posture and all that you're obviously going to be much more focused in your work you'll be quicker you'll be more alert uh, the roundedness as you know as a yoga instructor as well and as a breathwork instructor especially constricts our ability to breathe so when you're not breathing fully and properly that impairs your energy levels and also your brain function so there's all these things that it can help you do and plus i feel like if you move well and if you pay attention to things you're just going to be so much happier and and that makes me makes me more productive and then i'll get my work done more quickly i have more time to do other things that i enjoy in my life i mean like the quality of life just goes up exponentially is the word i'm looking for you know i agree and i've noticed that certainly over the last 5 years or so in that I'm going to call it postmenopause mm-hmm. phase for for me. I've noticed that if I do not move, do some kind of movement in the morning first thing, then I really feel that uh, you know as I kind of move into the day, it slows me down. I feel my body feels tight. And so that's become a kind of non-negotiable in my yeah. day, you know, I'll 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 do some weights or some, you know, some strength training or some mm-hmm. uh yoga or uh, sometimes dance or some other things. Yeah, I have to move. And I really kind of feel that strongly in, in, in my body now at this uh, point in life. So if people are interested in exploring Pilates, mm-hmm. what should they be looking for in a Pilates instructor or a Pilates practice? So I would love for people to first start by going to a qualified Pilates instructor that generally, might, I mean, in my mind, is Pilates Method Alliance certified, ideally Polestar or Stott Pilates. Those are my favorite forms. Classical Pilates, people will beg to differ, but those are the most suited for people who have existing issues, in my mind. And I can go into the details of that if you'd like me to. But I would like for people to take a few sessions one-on-one with someone who's qualified and experienced and who they connect to. It's a little bit like finding a doctor or finding you know, a therapist or something, or even a yoga instructor. There's different forms and different people, and you have to kind of find that Goldilocks person. <laughs> and generally, you can go online and look at websites, and you can kind of see how they're marketing themselves. So if it's, uh, I don't know, Club Pilates is a large franchise, so I'm going to beat up on them a little bit since they can take it. There are 
good people at those places, no doubt. But those will generally market very heavily to 25-year-old bridesmaids for fitness. I'm, I'm, I'm completely generalizing mm. here. Versus studios that will feature, you know, maybe some people who are a little bit older, maybe mention things like injury rehab or bone safe things, things like that. I think that people who have awareness of that tend to be a little bit more aware of things. Now, and I will say that some of these people will be very gentle and others will be much more challenging. So there is that whole gamut. Most people will have seen yoga and will have probably heard of yin yoga versus power yoga, hatha yoga. So there's in Pilates, we have that spectrum as well. We have that very gentle form yeah. and the more powerful forms. And then there are, you know, all sorts of permutations of that. But I personally believe that quality of education experience, somebody who actually listens, and we'll let you listen to your body. Those are factors I would pay attention to. Yeah, those sound like important factors. And it sounds like Pilates, just as in the yoga world, has, you know, you have that gym based yeah. focus where uh, certainly in the yoga world, there's, you know, I think when a lot of people think about yoga, they think about, you know, gym based uh, yeah. yoga or maybe, maybe hot yoga, but that very sort of active and high energy form of practice where, uh, as you're saying, there's a whole kind of range. So where can people go to get credible information about Pilates? (sighs) That's a challenge. I actually, there's, there's an excellent article in the New York Times by Sherry Berkowitz, by the way, about Pilates Mm. that everybody should read. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. The Pilates Method Alliance has some excellent information. And this is a, a show aimed at medical writers. So I'm also going to say that they have a list of references of clinical studies that have been done and case studies that have been done in about Pilates. So they have, you have to dig a little bit on their website. That's been put together by Sherry Betts, one of my favorite teachers of Pilates. She's also a physical therapist and specializes in osteoporosis, uh, bone health. So she's at Thera Pilates and she has some excellent work out there. And that's where you can find the research based information. Actually, Healthline has some good information on Pilates as well. I found a really good article on there. For Pilates, the, I think one thing that to know is that, like I said, we said yoga has these different permutations. Pilates, basically, there's classical Pilates. Those are sort of the purists that will go by what Joseph Pilates taught in his day. Now, this is 100 years old. So some more modern forms, like Polestar, which was reinvented by physical therapists, has have... Uh, decided that we know more about the body now than then, so we've evolved this a little bit. So there will be various different camps of that. And one other thing, that if you have physical issues, major physical issues, there are a number of physical therapists now that also have Pilates studios or have Pilates knowledge and certifications, and those people will be in a good position to help you and or point you to people like myself, who can help you, but who are not physical therapists. And I really feel like that whole intersection between, like I said, that, that middle-aged to senior population is a bit neglected, although you're seeing people come into that void right now. And also sort of that mm-hmm. space between coming out of a physical therapy and going into heavy-duty workouts. That's also a space that's neglected. Oh. And I feel Pilates has a huge role to play in there where you can just very strategically strengthen, oh, you know, say very simply, you've broken a leg and you're, you're out of physical mm-hmm. therapy and you're kind of functioning, but you still haven't quite balanced it out yet. So you can really work on, 
you know, unilateral strength and, and balancing things out. So you don't have that whole chain of movement patterns that will then cause additional injury later on. So there's a lot to be done. Oh, I love that. Yeah, definitely. That that makes so much sense in terms of, you know, you, you, you come out of an injury and you, you don't really know how far to push yourself or whether it's okay to make certain adjustments and modifications to yeah. compensate for something that hasn't yet yeah. regained full strength. So I think that's a really great uh, characterization to be aware of. Anything else I haven't asked you about that you would like listeners to know about in relation to the benefits of Pilates for just helping you be a well-rounded writer who is really optimizing their well-being? I really think people should check out Pilates. I feel that they should do one-on-one sessions if that is not possible. Try to get the best quality that you can if you're going to do online things. Of course, there's YouTube videos. Pilates Anytime is a pretty good resource, and you can filter by, by training. Ideally, you do want somebody to help you look at that. One more thing that I perhaps should mention for the younger women specifically, if you have just been pregnant and you're trying to get your abs quote-unquote back, you should be aware of pelvic floor issues and diastasis and you should work with someone who is specialized in that sort of thing to address that. And now this does happen in other people and in men as well, but that is kind of the population where you see that most. And that is a very specific concern where you don't want to just go doing crunches. So I feel, and that there is, there is a very specific subset of Pilates teachers who specialize in that sort of thing. Most people will have some knowledge of it. So you would want to work with someone specialized in that. As writers, I just feel that maybe one thing I should really focus on writers and I work with a lot of instrumentalists. I'm based in Music City, Tennessee, Nashville. Ah, yeah, so I have a lot right. of instrument, in, instrumentalists. And what I keep hearing is that people will do Pilates with me twice a week and then I will encourage them to pay attention to their posture and they will come back and say, oh, I noticed as I'm working as I'm, that I'm readjusting myself. And I very strongly feel that just by creating that awareness in your body, you will get so much more out of just the everyday paying attention than just the coming into the studio and doing the exercises because you are constantly realigning and the progression kind of goes from, let me see if I can get these terms right. You're going from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence. So you're going from, I'm doing, I'm, I have bad posture. I'm not aware of it to, oh, I'm aware I have bad posture, but I'm not sure what to do about it to, I can have good posture if I'm really aware of it to, I no longer have to be aware of it and I have good posture. So you're working on that spectrum and that really happens as you get into a whole practice. Um, Joseph Pilates, one of his most famous quotes is, in 10 sessions, you'll feel a difference. In 20 sessions, you'll see a difference. In 30 sessions, you'll have a whole new body. And in a sense, that is not. I'm not talking about the beach body version. I'm talking about this whole Pilates for life type thing that I I love so much about it. Yeah, self awareness can be can be everything. Yes, there's a great quote about uh, meditation. Actually, I'm not even going to go into that because the way that the the quote that you uh, ended with is a great place to end our conversation. Thank you so much, Eva, for jumping in here to join us on Right Medicine. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved this, and uh, I'd love to answer more questions about Pilates and help people live a happier, healthier life with happy movement.
And we'll make sure that all the resources you refer to are in the show notes. Thank Thank you. If you're like me and see yourself as a lifelong learner who loves connection with other CME professionals, come and check out what Right Medicine offers in terms of community and courses. And I'd love to hear from you what you're interested in learning more about on the podcast. And if you like the podcast or a particular episode, consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or share with your colleagues and peers. There's a link in the show notes to help you do all of these things. See you next time.